Welcome to Bloomberg Taxes Practitioner Insights, a series of podcasts talking to tax practitioners about the important issues facing them today. I am here today with Bloomberg Tax Practitioners Insights to talk about the new proposed Opportunity Zone regulations, which people have been waiting for. Let me introduce in alphabetical order our panelists, Brad Borden, Alan Letterman, and Jessica Millay. Brad Borden is Special Counsel at Duval and Stockenfeld, LLP, and Professor of Law at Brooklyn Law School. He practices, teaches, and writes extensively on topics related to gain deferral and exclusion in real estate transactions, with a particular focus on opportunity funds and Section 1031. Alan S. Letterman is a shareholder at the Florida firm of Gunster. He also practices and writes extensively on topics related to gain deferral and exclusion in real estate transactions, including QOFs and Section 1031. Allen, like Rad, is a past chairman of the ABA Section of Taxation, Sales, Exchanges, and Basis Committee. Jessica Millay is a partner at Duval and Stockenfeld and co-chair of the firm's tax practice group. She has particular expertise in U.S. tax issues that arise in complex real estate transactions, notably qualified opportunity fund structures. She regularly advises clients on tax structuring and documentation for QOF investments, real estate acquisitions, joint ventures, restructuring and refinancing arrangements, including inbound and outbound investments, and structures involving REIT. So thank you all for joining me today. I know people have been eagerly awaiting these new proposed regs. So today we're going to talk about what are the most favorable things in this package, what are the most unfavorable things, and what are the key remaining uncertain items in this new regs package. So let me start with you, Alan. What are the most favorable things in this new proposed regs? Okay. This is Alan Letterman. In terms of the favorable aspects of the new proposed regs, they provide non-real estate operating businesses with favorable guidance as QOF qualification for the first time. They facilitate the use of QOFs to fund non-real estate businesses by providing safe harbors for meeting the 50% gross income test based on activity in the opportunity zone, even where as is, as is the case of many startup internet-based businesses, wholesale businesses, and other non-retail businesses, the customers are located outside the opportunity zone. The regulations also expand the 31-month working capital safe harbor, which was effectively limited in the 2018 proposed regulations to real estate construction to include the development of an operating business. A second very favorable aspect is that QOFs do not need to take into account capital contributions received in the preceding six months and held by the QOF in cash-like assets when applying the 10% disqualified asset test. This facilitates staged funding of operating businesses, including their startup working capital and expansion needs, as well as facilitating phased real estate projects. This is Brad Borden. Uh, in terms of real estate, the new, pro, the new, the new regs uh, provide guidance that favorably relate to the ownership and operation of real property and generally provide that um, such ownership and operation is a trader business for purposes of, the, of whether the ownership is a qualified opportunity zone business. This rule would also apply to leasing with one exception, that, and the rules specifically provide that owning property for the purposes of triple net leasing it not going to be a trader business for the purpose of the determining whether the 
entities a qualified opportunity zone business. The rules also provide that non-cash contributions of property can be an eligible investment. So this answers the question of whether the contribution has to be only of cash. The one caveat here is that the contributed property won't satisfy the purchase requirement, and so it probably will not be qualified opportunity zone business property and would count against the 90% uh, test and the 70% test. There are also some complicated rules dealing with the basis of contributed property that, that investors are going to have to work through if they intend to acquire their interest in a QOF through contributing property instead of cash. Finally, the proposed regulations also provide guidance with respect to debt finance distributions. Uh, they provide that the any share of liability allocated to a QOF investor will increase the basis and distributions can be made to the extent of the basis that a QOF investor has in the QOF investment. The one thing to be careful of here, however, is that um, the proposed regulations treat contributions of cash as contributions of property. Therefore, if somebody invests um, eligible gain in a QOF, they get the basis step up. There could still be a question about whether a distribution within two years after the investment will be treated as a dis disguised sell and trigger some of that originally deferred gain. So that's something to be mindful of there. This is Jessica Millay. Um, another favorable aspect for real estate relates to the 10-year tax benefit for investors. Uh, as drafted into the code, the 10-year benefit appeared only to apply when investors sold their equity interest in the QOF. Uh, the new regulations add some, some welcome flexibility here and say that in certain cases, property sales um, that give rise to capital gain can be excluded by investors to the extent that that capital gain is allocated to investors on a Schedule K-1. Uh, there are a couple nuances here and uncertainties which we can talk about at the end, but in the meantime, this is a really welcome, uh, some welcome guidance, especially for fund managers that were trying to set up true commingled funds. Um, there were also a couple helpful expansions of the 31-month working capital safe harbor. First of all, the regulations clarified that you can have multiple either sequential or overlapping 31-month periods, um, and that's helpful for projects that need, that need cash in distinct phases. Uh, for example, the initial capital contributed by a QOF to a QOZB can be used for property acquisition and pre-development. And then at some point later, when additional cash is being contributed for construction, you can actually start a new 31-month period when you get that second slug of cash in the door. Um, second, they also said that if you um, if, if you're not able to spend the cash as initially planned within the 31-month period due to waiting for a government approval on an application, for example, a zoning change or building permit, that doesn't cause you to fail the safe harbor. Um, and that's going to be really helpful for people who are worried about um, the fact that some of these real estate developments may, may, may take time due to waiting for, for applications of that nature. Another helpful clarification in the regulations has to do with the definition of original use. The regulations clarify that original use is measured by when property is actually placed in service. This is helpful for investors that may not actually want to take a lot of development risk. Um, so, for example, uh, investors can invest in a QOF, and a QOF can then buy a building that is um, essentially mostly constructed as long as the building hasn't been placed in service yet, and as long as the new QOF equity structure 
places that building into service and they'll meet the requirements of the original use test. Lastly, there was a big big guidance package on leases, um, which, which was a big open question for people. And the treatment of leases is generally favorable. And in particular, you can have a lease between related parties as long as you comply with certain um, anti-abuse rules there. Okay, great. So that was the good. And now let's see if there is anything bad about these proposed regs. Um, Alan, how about you? Andrea, the the disappointment, I think, that was greatest uh, in in developers with respect to this package was that the IRS concluded it lacked the statutory authority to exclude interim gains of a qualified opportunity fund during the 10-year period. So, for example, uh, we have many clients who are condo developers, and they were looking at uh, setting up a condo business in the uh, opportunity zone, but unfortunately, their pre-sale gains which normally would occur within the 10-year period, uh, would be fully taxable. Uh, Some solace is given, though, by the point that Jessica just made, which is that it may be possible for these developers to sell their unsold inventory to a QOF, for the QOF to rent out those condominiums, and that may reduce their development risk by having a ready market for the unsold inventory. Okay. How about you, Brad? Yeah, perhaps the, I guess we may disagree on what the biggest disappointment is, but perhaps the biggest disappointment, at least in my opinion, is the rule related to 1231 gains. Uh, the proposed regs provide that only the net 1231 gain computed at the end of the year can be invested or, or be a good QOF investment. That means that gains recognized um, and invested in 2018 uh, that were 1231 gains wouldn't be eligible. And um, people that made those investments wouldn't qualify. And the only 1231 gains from 2018 that are going to qualify are those that are net gains as of December 31, 2018, and that have been invested so far this year or will be invested between now and the end of end of June. So I guess that uh, people who invested in 2018 would be losers under this rule, and people who haven't invested net 1231 gain, now have a little bit of a window to invest between now and the end of June for their net uh, 1231 gains for 2018. Uh, This is perhaps a rule that surprised a lot of people, and it may disqualify, as we're saying, a lot of investments that have occurred up until this point, um, which makes us wonder whether the IRS is going to stick with this rule or may find some way to make it a little bit more palatable for taxpayers and a little bit more user-friendly. Okay. And Jessica, do you have any um, disappointments? Um, Yeah, there was a provision in the regs that was um, perhaps not entirely unexpected, but they did clarify that an eligible interest in a QOF um, is only granted in exchange for contributions of eligible gain, and they specifically excluded any profits interest. Um, such as you know, promote or carried interest that's granted to um, to, to, to a member in a QOF. Um, this means that if an investor in a QOF contributes eligible gain um, and their interest in the QOF is comprised partly of their capital interest and then partly a profits interest attributable to um, a promoter or carried interest, they will be deemed to have a mixed funds investment. So they'll only receive QOF tax benefits on the portion of their QOF investment that is attributable to the, the, the contribution of eligible gain. All right. So now let's move on to what is still uncertain after these 2019 proposed regs. What's, what's left? A- Andrea, I think uh, the big question mark is foreign investment. Uh, foreign investment is a major factor in large U.S. real estate projects. 
And uh, that raises two questions. One is for investors that are out there that want to come into the qualified opportunity zones, the Florida Bar had requested that the Treasury uh, clarify the 2018 regulations such that if a foreign co- foreign investor, foreign corporation, or non-resident alien investor had non-effectively connected non-U.S. taxable capital gains and then moved those gains into the United States, they could qualify those gains for, as eligible gains as the basis of a U.S. investment. Uh, the consequence they were asking was that when those gains reversed in 2026, they would retain a non-taxable character and therefore there would be no toll charge going in. Then they also hoped that they would benefit from the 10-year rule so that after 10 years, the foreign investors could sell their property without paying any tax, notwithstanding the FERPTA Foreign Investment and Real Property Tax Act. So that would give foreign investors the ability to get a tax-free real estate yield in the United States. Uh, The IRS did not respond to that in the regulations, and I think that's still an open area. Conversely, with respect to existing foreign investors, uh, they now benefit from IRS rules that say that under the non-recognition principles and the corresponding absence of withholding, they can roll gains from existing U.S. real estate investments into another U.S. real estate investment under the 1031-like kind rules. What I think they would like was confirmation from the IRS that similarly they could roll taxable U.S. real estate gains into U.S. real estate-based qualified opportunity funds on a tax-free basis and likewise have no withholding on the gain. Uh, That was not addressed by the IRS, and it's something that foreign investors will be looking at. Um, Brad, um, what else is uncertain? Yeah, there's some question about whether taxpayers can structure the so-called reverse QOF investments. Um, As the rule is written, only realized gain can be invested. The 180-day period begins, the investment period begins after taxpayer recognizes eligible gain. Uh, If the taxpayer has an opportunity to invest in a QOF before gain is realized, um, the question is whether there's some structure such as the taxpayer lending money to the fund and then later realizing the gain using that gain to make a contribution to the fund and then having the fund repay the the loan would be one alternative. And the other would be to have the, uh, if a a party related to the taxpayer makes an investment into the QOF or the QOZB, and then after the taxpayer realizes the gain, makes a contribution to the QOF, and that contribution is used to somehow redeem out the related party. Uh, The question is whether these types of transactions would work to create a reverse QOF investment. And, and you know, maybe, I, I guess, in formal, the, if the form is respected, I guess they would work. But uh, the risk is that the IRS could come back and collapse these types of transactions under economic substance tests and say that the eligible, or not the eligible, that the contribution was made before the eligible gain was recognized. And it's probably a considerable risk that um, with a lot of these structures that the IRS could come back and collapse them. Um, to avoid such treatment, there would have to, all of the, the loan or the other investment would have to be a bona fide loan or a real in, an investment by a related party. But it's just a, it's just dealing with the economic substance and stuff transaction doctrine of those types of principles with, with, with such um, reverse QOF investments will be the, will be the focus. Okay, and Jessica? 
Yeah, so there are a couple uncertainties with respect to that additional flexibility I mentioned on the 10-year tax benefit. Um, the, the first one is that it's drafted in the proposed regs that, that, that just came out. Um, that that ability, the ability to sell um, sell property and uh, and permit QF investors to exclude the associated um, gain only applies if the property is sold by the QOF. Um, and given that most of these structures are being set up where a QOF does not own the property directly, but instead owns an interest in a QOZB where the QOZB holds the property. Um, if really the, the benefit of these property sales is only limited to sales by a QOF as opposed to sales by the QOZB, then it will really be of limited effect overall. So it remains to be seen whether that was an intentional aspect of, of, of the rule or whether it was just um, drafted incorrectly. Um, also, you know, the, the rule kicks in for investors as long as investors have held their equity in the QOF for at least 10 years. But if you have a situation where an investor has contributed to a QOF over time, there may be a situation where an, part of an investor's interest in a QOF has been held for more than 10 years and part hasn't. So if, if one of these property sales happen, it's not clear whether there would have to be some pro rata exclusion of the gain or whether you can have some kind of first in, first out kind of, kind of approach to it. Um, and lastly, although it's not really quite an uncertainty, but just something that to, for investors to keep in mind, um, with this property, this property sale um, application of the 10-year rule, investors are only able to exclude allocations of capital gains. So if there's a property sale and there's any assets that were sold that would generate ordinary income, such as appreciated inventory, or if there's 1245 recapture that would give rise to ordinary income, those amounts are not excluded and investors would have to pay tax on those. So as opposed to if you actually do sell your equity in the QOS, you get a full fair market value basis step up and you're not paying tax on, on anything, regardless of the types of underlying assets, as long as they were the overall structure qualified. So again, it's welcome flexibility, but there are a couple things that, that investors need to be mindful of. It's not a blank check. All right. So so what's next? What else can we expect from from these final regs? Yeah, Andrea, I think that everyone is anticipating there'll be regulations uh, discussing reasonable cause for failure to maintain QOF qualification. And what some people are looking for is a rule that's similar to the rule in the REIT regulations that say that if there's an item that's uncertain and you get a legal opinion, then the, and a well-reasoned legal opinion, then the um, that will protect you from the penalty, notwithstanding the fact that the IRS may later challenge the opinion and come up with a uh, contrary result. Uh, the second thing that people are looking for is uh, a reasonable cause ground based on a delay on the 31-month expenditure test, not caused by a delay in government approval, which, as Jessica mentioned, is in the regs already. It's uh, some explanation that is a reasonable and in good faith and beyond control of the QOF, but nevertheless does cause such a 31, such a delay, such as the bankruptcy of a key contractor or a subcontractor. Okay. Um, Brad? Yeah, we also may be look, look, look forward to having reporting requirements imposed upon the uh, on, on QOFs regarding the way that they're using the money and the impact it may be having on um, local economies. I guess that there may be some concern in knowing one of the tenets, I guess, of good tax policy is that it's efficient, mm -hmm. uh, doesn't affect taxpayer behavior. This would be one uh, situation where we're looking for actually the opposite of that. 
Okay. Uh, we're trying to direct money into these qualified opportunity zones, and, and the Treasury may be looking to see whether uh, directing the money has had an impact on local economies. Okay, and Jessica? Um, yeah, the, it, it, we, we were originally told that there was going to be um, a, a third set of regulatory guidance issued later this year, although some comments from, from Treasury officials lately uh, in the past few weeks have indicated that actually this might be all that we get. Um, so it remains to be seen what, what future guidance is going to look like. There's certainly going to be more questions in need of answers, um, and we'll all just have to keep, keep an eye on um, what form that guidance comes in. If it's not uh, an additional set of regulations, it may be in the form of, of rulings or, or other, other chief counsel memos. We'll just have to see what it looks like. All right. And finally, this is the question that I think most people are asking, is can people now feel comfortable going ahead with their investments now that this most recent round of guidance is out? Uh, yes, I would say, Andrea, there, there's a fairly good comfort level now because the proposed regulations provide broad and often viable as a business matter safe harbors, which QOFs will often be able to meet. Uh, thus, I think that if investors feel that the business plan presented, presented by the QOF has a reasonable likelihood of meeting these IRS safe harbors and the underlying business plan is sound, uh, I think they, uh, they'll have reasonable confidence that they'll achieve the desired uh, seven-year deferral of capital gains and 15% reduction in the gains and achieve their ultimate eligibility for a post-2029 capital gain tax-free exit. Anyone else want to weigh in? Yeah, I just want to focus on, um, go back to Section 1231. We have a rule that's not very good for people who are recognizing 1231 gain right now and looking to invest before the end of the year. Um, I believe a lot of taxpayers are going to disregard the rule and the proposed regs, emphasis on proposed, I guess also an emphasis on regs. The language contradicts the statute. The statute says that... Uh, QOF rules apply to any gain. Um, section 1231 is very clear in defining Section 1231 gain. I believe that uh, you know, a lot of people are going to take the position that this rule is not valid. It's not a, a reasonable interpretation of the statute, and um, people aren't going to be able to wait till the end of the year to make investments. And so I think that people are going to go forward um, based on the, the position that the rule is invalid and then also it's difficult to believe that the IRS is going to go back and invalidate QOF investments of 1231 gain that has been made for the last year and a half or so, and it would be inequitable to treat future investment of 1231 gain different from these prior investments. So um, I think that people, it's going to be uncomfortable, actually, but I think that people will disregard the 1231 rule. Um, and, and I also think that the guidance is sufficient that it will get a lot of those stragglers in off the sidelines. Um, there, in addition to all the very specific favorable points that came out in the regulations, you know, if you look at the whole tenor and spirit of the guidance package, it's really to encourage investment and participation in the Opportunity Zone program. Um, the few points that, that came out that we spoke about that were not favorable were really keyed off of specific you know, existing provisions in the tax law that just weren't within Treasury's regulatory authority to, to wave away. Um, so overall, I do think that investors are going to feel more comfortable. Um, but, of course, it's a complicated program. It's going to be a lot of heavy tax-structured investments. 
Um, so it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> um, but I think we've seen such a tremendous amount of interest in the program that um, I, I'm just expecting people to now really dive in and, and put their money to work. All right. Well, thank you to all three of you. And it's going to be very interesting to see what actually happened. There's been a lot of talk about it. And now let's see what comes out of all of this. So if another round of guidance comes out, I hope you'll come back and talk to me again. My pleasure. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Bloomberg Taxes Practitioner Insights. You can find us on bna.com, SoundCloud, and iTunes.